Rich. I'm Leonard Lopate. Bob Henley, who reports on leading political and economic issues for public radio, Salon, the chief leader, and other news organizations, has joined us many times on this show to discuss the news behind the news. And now he's hosting a new morning show here on WBAI called What's Going On? He's also the author of a new book called Stuck Nation, Can the United States Change Course on Our History of Choosing Profits Over People? It's published by Democracy at Work, and I'm very pleased to welcome Bob Henley back to our show now. Hi, Bob. Thanks for having me. I'll tell you, I don't know how you do it five days a week, Leonard. <laughs> well, you write a lot, so uh, you only have to do one show a week. That's enough. But is it true that you and five other reporters at The Chief Leader are considering sharing ownership of, of the paper? So, of course, you jump in uh, right away. Um, just to remind people, the chief leader uh, was uh, started in 1897, uh, serving public unions. For, for firefighters. Uh, right, originally, and uh, grew through the years. In 2017, we started covering the private sector as well. Uh, fortuitously, um, a gentleman named Ben August for, um, uh, from out west has uh, bought the chief leader. It is his hope uh, that after uh, putting some new capital in it and helping us uh, raising salaries and equipment and the rest, uh, that we can become an employee-owned enterprise. Uh, it would make sense that if we want to cover uh, the labor movement, uh, it may f people may find it strange we were not unionized prior to that. The paper has always has been printed, at least in my knowledge, while I was there for like six years by a union print shop at the Daily mm -hmm. News, which we're grateful for. But so this is, yeah, this is a new model. It's a, the size of the staff is one that's relatively small. So unionization, while possible, uh, might be difficult, but uh, we'll give it a whirl. And we're, we're very happy with Mr. August's generosity. So do you have to invest money in this? No, the question is really just uh, uh, working to, to try to maintain the base that the chief has had over the years and then expand it into a national paper uh, for labor, a voice for labor, which is long overdue. Uh, ben Smith, our colleague, wrote about this in some detail in The Times. Uh, it's very exciting. Um, I think that uh, certainly by the anniversary of the Triangle Fire on March 25th, um, we'll have a chance to you know have this, this national platform fully up and running. But we continue to publish, as we always have, uh, Richard Kavkeen, uh, Crystal Lewis, myself, Richie Steyer, who's been a longtime editor, um, there's something that's been going on with the chief. I mean, we have been writing about uh, independently the, the trials and tribulations of labor, because let's be honest, labor has its problems like every other institution in America. And we've reported all of that. And so have newspapers. Years ago, New York had a slew of newspapers, uh, <laughs> right. the Herald Tribune, the Mirror, the World Telegram Sun, the Journal American, the Brooklyn Eagle, the Long Island Press, Staten Island Advance. Uh, and uh, there were a few others. And they're all gone. Is it a lot less expensive today to rely on the Internet as a way to, to disseminate the news? No, I would say that, actually, I mean, we still have a print presence uh, on newsstands. And, of course, uh, it is, uh, in many ways, it's uh, more expensive. I mean, you, you can do it on the cheap. And we've talked about this on this program, that over the last 20-some-odd uh, years, what's happened is uh, newspapers have been aggregated into larger and larger chains, Gannett owning one in five. The model generally is to hollow out to the individuals that cover the local news and then aggregate content and then fill it in with social media, which is not authenticated nor reported. And so as a consequence, we're now, uh, I guess, coming into this two years of a mass death event where Americans can agree on a common set of facts, like how to conduct ourselves in the midst of a killer virus. And I would tell you that, and I make this point in stagnation, it's been a constant theme of my work, is that the lack of authentic local reporters working beats has really uh, created this national moment. It's no accident that we have uh, such an ill-informed public, uh, many of whom thought it was a great idea uh, to storm the Capitol on January 6th to uh, try to uh, install Donald Trump as president. It's not accidental that this comes out of a media environment of uh, gross uh, corporate concentration where Fox and the likes of Clear Channel concentrated ownership and then began to adopt the uh, the divisive and fascist model of using a kind of analytics which may drive clicks, 
but has us uh, objectifying each other because I find hate is a great motivator to get people to use the Internet. Well, the, your new owner of the, the Chief is rather unorthodox. He's the owner of a vineyard in Napa Valley and the head of a nonprofit group that <laughs> investigates who really wrote the plays attributed to Shakespeare. And he, uh, as I understand it, he believes it was probably Edward de Vere, the 17th Earl of Oxford, who wrote those plays. So he's named a wine Earl 17 in his honor. Your point? I think we should have him on. What do yeah. you think? Well, he's I your think kind it, of guy. It's interesting. You, you, <laughs> mentioned, you mentioned the pandemic, of course, that it becomes a major story. In less than a week, New York City's COVID positivity jumped from 3.9% to 7.8%, according to Dr. Jay Varma, Mayor de Blasio's health advisor. But hasn't the mayor ordered that New York City employees return to in-person work, although he's still holding his press conferences remotely? Wow, there's a lot there. Like, uh, there's four different questions, boy. You're getting okay, we'll answer all four. It's okay. <laughs> That's right, right. So I, I think it's important to, first of all, talk about the fact that we're in this. We're just where are we in this? So it's true that uh, we are seeing this uh, Omicron really come on strong. It grows exponentially. Uh, we do know that uh, we're in a situation where, as I think I wrote in a, a piece recently, a fractured nation faces a killer virus. So while in our region, where we have some of the highest vaccination rates in the country, we're in a nation very divided, even still a legacy of the Trump dysfunction and betrayal of America. And well, so well, how does with, our area's positivity rate compare with the rest of the countries? Well, if you look now, like in some places like Cleveland, you'll see 40 percent. But then in in places in New York, which is those numbers you just quoted, we're still in the high seven, eight, nine percent. But it's growing exponentially. The challenge here is that um, this has been the public health challenge from the very beginning. The truth is that even if you're vaccinated uh, and even with the booster, you can still transmit this disease. So this has been a failure in messaging. So now Governor Hochul, uh, President Biden and Mayor de Blasio they're all saying that you need to be vaccinated, but we also need to wear the mask when we're in public and interior settings, irrespective of our vaccination status, and be prepared to test frequently. I mean, <clears throat> excuse me, where this is going, quite frankly, is um, we need to have universal free testing at home for anyone who has to go out in the work world and work. <clears throat> because you can still, as I say, be vaccinated and carry this virus. I'm always afraid when I'm on the subway and people come to, aren't willing to wear their masks, so I move. But right. um, President Biden has agreed to hold off on disciplinary, disciplinary action until the beginning of 2022 for the roughly 100,000 federal workers who've neither received the, the vir- vaccine nor sought an exemption from the mandate on religious or medical grounds. Aren't many of the holdouts employed by the U.S. Department of Agriculture where, interestingly, 14 percent of the workers have resisted vaccination, although several meat inspectors have died from the virus? Sure. So let's talk about this. There are two models pretty much for engaging a workforce to get them vaccinated. Uh, We have the coercive model. That would be Mayor de Blasio's approach, which is uh, he euphemistically talks about climbing the ladder. But basically, it's kind of like you get vaccinated or we terminate you. Uh, And so that has kind of uh, had all kinds of unintended consequences. Then there is what I call the Sarah Nelson flight attendant CWA model, which is work behind the scenes with United Airlines, develop a plan where the unions had a chance to pose questions and they roll out this requirement together. That's kind of the model that the Biden administration, no surprise, he really is a friend of labor. uh, That's what they did with the federal government. So they had this council of all the agencies, American Federation of Government Employees, who couldn't get the time of day from Donald Trump. Donald Trump tried to drive the federal unions out of the workplace, didn't communicate with them, even as TS agents were dying from this disease, did not provide masks or contact tracing for the federal workforce helping spread the disease. Let's remember that. Let's keep that pin in that. So what Biden has done is created a conversation where, indeed, they got 95 percent compliance, Leonard, before they had to use the big stick. And if you didn't comply, then you're counseled and you're you're spoken with. When you get down to that number, relatively small out of three million people, you can have conversations about reasonable accommodation. And 
let's be honest, there are indeed actual uh, medical exemptions which are listed on the CDC website. And that's why union representation matters, because what we're seeing is the unions helping these members who have sometimes heart issues or even uh, some allergic reaction to elements within this uh, this vaccine make their case. Of course, for people that aren't represented, you have a problem. And I will say the coercion model has the uh, the side effect of creating a huge and underreported black market of forgeries of the vaccine credential. Well, President Biden just said that due to the rapidly spreading Omicron, the unvaccinated Americans now risk facing, quote, a winter of death and severe illness. I would say that's about right. One of the things that we're missing uh, because of the lack of local reporting, and remember, um, we did find out about the meat processing crisis, which is uh, another high crime and misdemeanor, actually a crime against humanity that Donald Trump should be still indicted for. When he chose to keep the meatpacking plants open, and when the unions at like uh, the United Food and Commercial Workers were begging for contact tracing as their members were dying and as they were bringing the disease home to their families, Donald Trump uh, invoked the Defense uh, Production Act to make sure that they stayed in those death houses hmm. all through the pandemic. And we just don't talk about that. We just move on to the next silly thing. But that's that's the kind of template that we had to deal with. Now, it's true that you do have resistance in certain agencies, but it's I think it's what we're, we have not reported on is a huge success story of the federal civil service after having lost hundreds and hundreds of people. I mean, the United States government does not at right now know how many of its civil servants died from this disease. The United States government in general has no idea how many of the 800,000 people that passed were essential workers hmm. serving us who died because of this, their service does. They, that's not even, for some reason, we're not even going to spend time talking about that. Do you know if a decision has been made on uh, the Times Square New Year's gathering? Last year, it was, uh, you had to show proof of vaccination to be able to attend. What about this year? Yeah. Is it still hey, up in the want, air? You want a CDC card that looks like the real thing, Leonard? Uh -huh. Yeah, get into all your events with it. Oh, no problem. Um, sorry. Uh, the uh, the mayor was, uh, yesterday, he did have a pop press conference that was not scheduled, uh, which it was funny because the White House had a pretty important statement, which you just quoted from President Biden, and then Governor Hochul also had a similar kind of press conference. So clearly there is some alarm. Mm -hmm. He did say that at this point it's two weeks out and they're going to review it on a day by day basis. I mean, it was a little surreal just to say to you that I was in the city distributing the chief leader on Tuesdays. And I saw the huge event that the mayor had related to the great soccer victory, you know, like a ticker tape parade type event. It's just very strange. It is incoherent just like the the huge rock event he had. He wanted to have a concert, I guess. So, the, and this is part of the problem with messaging. Um, and you're right, you raised earlier the point, I don't want to let it go. The mayor has ordered civil servants back to work because he says the best work uh, by city civil servants is done in person and ordered them back into the office. And it is true that throughout this period, he has insisted on uh, bringing uh, Zoom calls from the Blue Room where reporters are not permitted in the room and where they take calls from the same group of people. So this is a double week. standard, would you say? Oh, double standard. It's worse than that. Let me just tell you a little anecdote. So I sit in the radio room where my beloved colleague, Stan Brooks, used to work. Uh, he's gone on to the great broadcaster and sky, great man, and then the retired Rich Lamb. There's a space I sit there. Bridget Bergen, our colleague from WNYC, has a desk there. Julia Papa. And so I have a space there right under the huge oil painting of Henry Clay. Talk about oppressive. Uh, and well, so at least I'm it isn't there. Thomas Jefferson. Right. Well, right. <laughs> Slave uh, all, all is now he's just a dark spot on the floor of the city council floor. Yeah. Um, 
But so I'm sitting there getting ready to go on the Zoom ritual, got my question wrote out, reading the papers, ready to ask questions and keep track of what my colleagues are asking. And the Wi-Fi goes out on the city council side. Now, the city council side of City Hall it's been pretty much a bleak place. It's it's this goes to show you how fractured the response to the pandemic has been. It's very lonely over there. It's you know, I feel like uh, Pinocchio in the belly of a whale. You know, there's a couple of other start work reporters in room nine, a couple of security folks. But generally, up until very recently, there's nothing going on. So I will be there and then the Wi-Fi goes out. So then I have to go over across City Hall, sitting outside the door of where the blue room is. And I get, you know, the mayor comes to me to ask my question. And I say, I'm on the other side of the door because there's no Wi-Fi. Uh, and then I use the opportunity to, to make the point that he really needed to open it up to other people in person, other young people who are not known. I mean, I've been a pain in people's backside for a long time. So I get called on most of the time, mm -hmm. but what about the young people just looking to break in who need to be a part of this conversation? Anyway, I raise that issue. And this is something that, you know, we and this this is why he's not I think this is part of his is trying to create the environment to run for governor. Right. So he's really using his his way out as a way to build the platform for his next potential run for office. I, I don't really see him as having much of a chance, but that's a whole other matter. Uh, you're listening to. Leonard Lopate at large on WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. And my guest is WBAI's own Bob Henley, among other things. He also writes for a number of publications and um, appears on other public radio stations. Um, you've reported that on December 2nd, a group of Republican New Jersey state legislators barged onto the floor of the assembly chamber in Trenton in open violation of the requirement that lawmakers show proof of vaccination or uh, a negative COVID test. Um, they could, they have called it a courageous blow for individual liberty, but weren't they putting the New Jersey state troopers they confronted in the chamber in danger? They sure were. And one of the things about this is that it shows just the legacy of uh, the misrule of Donald Trump, because what we have here is a, a fractured nation, a nation facing a killer virus. And so even though there's broad consensus in New Jersey about vaccinations. We do have um, a certain strong contingent within the Republican Party, which, by the way, um, didn't knock Governor Murphy off, but did pick up seats in the legislature. And they are just following the rather unoriginal template of Donald Trump, which is a certain kind of narcissistic, uh, fascistic cult of the personality which makes their own story central. But but and, let me stop you for a second. Sure. Donald Trump, it turns out, was vaccinated. And on right. top of it all, he came down with COVID and right. spent time in the hospital. So uh, how has this become a political issue, somehow a, a, uh, a defense of, of Trump's policies? Well, <clears throat> it's more about the sense of a certain kind of archetype. And so you raise, and I raised in this story that I wrote about this, that the contempt that these uh, uh, members, Republican members from the assembly have, and again, it was a faction, not the entire caucus who did this, is their real belief that they're they promoting themselves and their political profile is of greater moment and significance than caring for the potential health impacts on other people they interact with. Mm. And that has been, that's the thread with Donald Trump. So Donald Trump, we know from great reporting um, by crew, uh, the the uh, nonprofit watchdog group in Washington, that 900 secret service agencies, both uh, ununiformed uh, plainclothes and uniform, were exposed to COVID and got sick, hmm. some of them very seriously. And so this has been a constant theme throughout the entire pandemic. Working people just don't matter. They're collateral damage. That's why... You see the whole question is we, the emphasis on keeping the economy going and really downplaying the implications for essential workers and their families. And so this idea of charging on the floor uh, uh, of the assembly um, and uh, striking back at, at some kind of scientific consensus really um, it, it really threatens our security in a fundamental way. And this is the thing that Joe Biden has not been able to heal. This is the thing we'd hoped. He talked about bipartisanship. He had some kind of vision 
that things people, he could get people to buy in. And yet here we are. We are still a tragically fractured nation when it comes to this basic health challenge. Well, in October, the New York Times reported that the Officer Down Memorial webpage has accounted for close to 500 police officers who've died as a result of workplace exposure during the pandemic. And the Times reported that more than four times as many officers have died from COVID-19 as from gunfire in that period. Right. But the gunfire and and ginning people up about the crime wave, which you hear all the time on Morning Joe, it's like a steady drumbeat. Um, You know, the systemic critique that's required to address how we got here with the pandemic would would challenge capitalism and we are just not up for that conversation we'll do anything else other than that and so is should we be surprised that all of a sudden the congress is choking on build back better they just don't know if they can swing it or that they couldn't figure out how to have universal free testing for covid available like with the insurance companies pay for it meanwhile we find out through great reporting by insider uh, business that 75 members of congress we're trading on pharma and COVID stocks during the pandemic. And then we have Speaker Pelosi, who I generally like, defend it as saying it's about the free market. Is it any surprise that we're, we are where we are with three years of life expectancy declining, setting us up for this deadly mass event, when we have a Congress that's been using their opportunity of public service to accumulate and build their own wealth? Is that insider trading or is that another kind of problem? That's just smart business, evidently. Uh, no, I, it's, um, there is a Stock Trading Act from 2012, and I just got through the piece. I'm, I'm doing an iteration uh, for my various platforms, uh, looking closely at what this research uh, found. We do have some uh, Congressman Malinowski comes up very bad out of this. Josh Gottheimer. Uh, who was, I guess, the only bright bulb who had stock in Moderna. I mean, you just really have to ask yourself, you know, and this is where it, it transcends uh, party. I mean, if you look at this, and it's, I would suggest people check it out, and I'll be tweeting it out later, this is a fundamental question. This is the two-party bilking scheme. This is the reason why you have a United States Congress that undermined and undercut the public health for a generation by cutting programs for the public health, while at the same time, ritualistically and gleefully approving seven to $800 billion a year in military spending, even as we set the world on fire and created the greatest refugee crisis since the Second World War. And by the way, if anyone's keeping track, almost lost the capital on January 6th. Like that is, why don't we hear that? That is where we need to start the conversation. What we thought we were doing to secure ourselves has been an abject failure that because of what we spent money on set us up to basically keep the public in this very marginal public health situation. Well, when I look at other countries, uh, countries that have national health systems like Great Britain um, and some of the other European countries, they all still are having real problems with COVID. So is it the, just the big difference how much you wind up? How much it winds up costing you when you go to the doctor when you get sick? I, I would say that you have to look at the entire infrastructure. And so one of the problems here is the United States is still leading the world in terms of the death toll. In terms of, in places like New Jersey, for a long time I think we had some three hundred per hundred thousand. So we at one point were the deadliest place on earth. In fact, in New Jersey, w- whenever they. Uh, did uh, on the on the television news whenever they show uh, positivity rates, um, Connecticut is usually lowest, New York next, and then New Jersey the highest. Right. So one of the is things that that came- because of the way New Jersey is structured, or because well, I, I think it has to do with the fact that there is within the state uh, there's a tremendous division about even though it's nominally a uh, a blue state, there are certain swaths of the state, certain counties which are hostile to the idea of these public health precautions. And so you do have, and then even within certain communities, it gets down to zip code. And so we can't escape the fact that when Donald Trump decided to pit the states against each other in the midst of this once in a century mass death event by making blue states the pariah and red states virtuous, he set into motion a, a kind of race to the bottom. And that really hasn't changed. I mean, we're, we're seeing right now 
uh, in New York State, you have Mr. Uh, Blakeman, who's the, I guess, the county executive elect of Nassau County, hmm. openly saying that he is not going to follow uh, Governor Hochul's very reasonable, universal uh, mandate for masking in interior places, irrespective of your vaccination status. And so even in New York, nominally a blue state, there is this fractured thing where people want to identify themselves as being pro-commerce. Somehow, uh, you know, anyone that wants to, you know, take time out to be mindful of how their actions might impact their neighbor, well, they must be communists. I mean, that's where we are. It's that base and that stupid. Well, there it, uh, it turns out that the states with the highest positivity rates tend to be the, the, uh, the red states. Hmm. Yeah. I just read that yes. statistic the other day. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think you're onto something here. And then if you look now at where now New Jersey was in this embarrassing space for all its prosperity and enlightenment, you know, we have Princeton, we're so smart. Uh, the fact that we had this higher per death capita also had to do with the fact that we have some of the most glaring health disparities along racial and economic lines in the country, in the country. So luckily, Mississippi came and saved us from that distinction. So now we're like bumped down to three, displaced by the real seat of the Confederacy that everybody knows, which would be Alabama and Mississippi. Boy, there's a relief. Well, we've talked in the past about the, the mixed message uh, legacy of New Jersey, where there was right. uh, slavery until pretty much the, uh, the, the end of the Civil War. Uh, on the other hand, there were parts of, of New Jersey closer to Pennsylvania where the Quakers tended to live, right. where uh, abolitionists had eliminated slavery. Right. So it's, it's a, sta a state that uh, has had a, a weird mixed legacy. Right, right. And, and it's also, I mean, they, they didn't uh, ratify the 13th Amendment until Lincoln was dead and the Civil War was over. They wanted to see how it was going to turn out. Um, and this ambivalence about race, I mean, and New York City, as you know, you've covered this. Uh, New York City itself, uh, its mayor at the time, wanted to join, you know, secede. Mm -hmm. uh, the New Jersey and New York. And, and are, we, you know, we had all the, sh many of the ships, the slavery ships were, were docked here in New York. Right, right. And so, and, and, and that's, that is, that's why it's so important, um, I think, in the current climate. You know, that's why I say it's so important to continue and to spend a lot of time in Stuck Nation talking about this. This is the foundation upon which market capitalism was created. And so you can't reform it or come to terms with its abuses unless you look at, uh, listen, I'm a carpenter. I built houses. I poured foundations. You got a crack foundation. Things aren't going to turn out once you try to cross the threshold and live in the house. Okay, well, you are listening to Leonard Lopate at Large on WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. Turn to my conversation with Bob Henley. Uh, I'd like to just take a moment to ask you to support WBAI. Uh, we're asking everyone who tunes in regularly to Leonard Lopate at Large to step up right now and go online to give to WBAI.org or to call 212-209-2950 to help keep this great and invaluable radio station on the air. Bob, we certainly appreciate that not everyone is in a position to contribute to the station or anything else right now because so many people have, are, are facing serious financial difficulties as a result of the pandemic. But don't segments like this one where we can discuss underreported news stories for an hour demonstrate why independent media uh, remains such a, a critical service? I, absolutely. I would say it's your situational awareness. If you think about where we are, the national debate, international debate, local debate, uh, the themes that are now so dominant and being discussed with such frequency, whether it be global warming or racial profiling and policing, 
think about the decades of programming where this has been discussed. So if it's risen to some level where we're finally having a, a more inclusive and um, uh, you know something involving uh, the broader society, it's because those conversations started here. Well, you have worked, as I have, in a number of different uh, public radio venues. Uh, one of the things I appreciate about WBAI is nobody here tells me you can't talk about this. You can't address that subject because we don't take we don't take any funding from uh advertisers they call them funding credits when they run them on uh, right. a local station his name i'm not going to mention but in <laughs> in the end they they are commercials <laughs> right and I, I would say the only thing we're not allowed to say and i remember is that thanks to uh um the very humorous i miss him uh george, george carl and there, there are several words we can't say um, and by and, the way, BAI, you know, BAI is involved in that whole situation. I understand that. And we, someday we, we should talk about my... We went to the Supreme Court with it. Yeah, right. And one of the things I would someday, I had a great interaction with him uh, back at the other place where at the other plantation we used to work at WNYC. I'll tell you about that sometime. But anyway, your point about this, um, the co uh, corporations, I mean, that's, we just talked in the first part of the program about the role of corporations co-opting our elected leadership. Well, it's even, I think it's been borne out that the corporate media um, has become entirely compromised by this whole consumer model. And so, and as we look at issues like climate change, as we look at issues like the deterioration of public health, the only way to turn that around is to have a platform and a place where issues can be discussed where those folks aren't calling the shots, right? Mm -hmm. it, and so unless there's an alternative space uh, for broadcasters and producers to go out into the community and bring that um, forward, then all we're going to have is that corporate media echo chamber. And if if you watch some of the, the – the, even the best of the news shows on, uh, on cable uh, – they rarely, well, they never devote an hour to one subject, no matter how important the subject is. Um, maybe they're afraid that the audience is going to be bored or not be able to follow it, or uh, I, I, I don't know all the reasons that uh, they, they follow that, that model. And then they tend to talk about the same five things on every one of those shows. So I really do see WBAI, which has always pride, pride itself in being free speech radio, as being an anomaly. Yeah, and I would also say the other thing, too, is it provides the ability for um, individuals to get access to producing radio. And that's another piece we don't talk about enough. Uh, one of the great uh, memories of my life is being over on 8th Avenue uh, having a chance to have a documentary from uh, friends of mine, Ed Helbig and other just folks uh, that I was uh, hanging with back in the day. We did a, a documentary. You uh, talk about an uh, earlier studio that WBAI right, had. Right, right. 8th Avenue. Right. Thank 8th you. 8th Avenue uh, and 35th Street. Yeah, right, right. And so. I worked there many I, years. Right, right. And so I remember as a young person, uh, I graduated from college. I just had intent, a passion, and desire, and was hanging with the right people. And so we went down and documented a, a demonstration for the U.S. getting out of El Salvador, drove through the night uh, with the reel-to-reel -reel tape recorder, pieced it together, and created something, and then handed it to um, Robert Knight, who I miss every day, mm -hmm. right? And so, that, and so that experience empowered me to think that I could do this. And so it's now part of succession planning, right? We have to make sure that this space still endures for other people, younger people from diverse backgrounds to be able to do the same thing. Well, Because this is a tool that makes change. Especially since we are unique. We are the only, I think, I don't know if there are other stations in the country, but there definitely aren't any in the city that rely 100% on just the support of their listeners, which gives us an independence because no one listener has the clout to say you can't do this or you should do that. Right, right. And then I think also it's something where, uh, they, so you have this feedback loop where you also have the ability to be nimble. And mm -hmm. the programming, because your consideration is not how much money is it going to generate, but what audience does it speak to? What issues is it raising? 
there's a whole different sense of valuation as to, and so if you listen throughout the day, um, you're going to hear a whole range of conversations from every different possible perspective. Um, and also, I, I do think that in, in the, the good news here is that what we've been doing has been working. Um, we, we see that the arbitrary, uh, the Nielsen ratings indicate that we've moved up considerably. I understand that the, the fundraising that management's directed towards the tower fund. I don't know if you've spoken about that. No, but, well, I want to talk about that because sure. that's another issue. We right. are stuck with uh, having to pay quite a bit of money for, for our broadcast tower and we're behind in the rent. It was a, a the, the, uh, the amount was uh, the contract was negotiated and decided by the Pacifica National Office without consultation with WBAI. So we are stuck with uh, a rather expensive broadcast tower. But unless we can pay for it, we go off the air. Well, well, here's the good news is that it seems there's been a reset with the Pacifica board that now it's seventeen thousand dollars a month rent, uh, which is uh, something that. If the, we can manage to uh, raise it up front, and this makes sense for anyone that's, that's been involved with, with business and managing money, if you can pay that all up front uh, at one time, you put yourself in a much better footing. And the station is stabilizing. Um, and I say that, listen, I've been, I get fired by Pacifica every 10 years, right? So <laughs> it's like, I'm in, I'm out, I'm up, I'm down. But the one constant thing is I'm committed to making sure this institution endures. And so I do think this is like, particularly we're having a new mayor that's coming in. I mean, it's it's kind of just blows my mind to think that if you if you're of a certain age, remember where did you first hear uh, a mayor like Adams? It was on this air talking about as a police captain and mm. an authority on the side of the Bloomberg administration the need to reform policing and to try to deal with systemic racism. You heard his voice here first, and so uh, I think that that's instructive that now. Yeah, and who is going to hold him accountable, right? I mean, we see that his flirtation with Bitcoin. Really? Really? We're going to go Bitcoin? This high energy demanding energy hog thing? We're going to, we're going to go there? Uh, well, where are those conversations going to happen? Where is he going to be held accountable? As I'm sure he, he wants to be, or I hope so. Well, a reminder that the number to call is 212-209-2950, or you go to the, the WBAI.org website. But please be sure to make that contribution in the name of Leonard Lopate at large. Or if you call during Bob's show, make that contribution in the name of his show right. when, when he's on the air. Uh, this is WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. My guest is a, uh, a journalist who uh, can be found in a wide range of places. Uh, he, the, the chief leader, we talked about that earlier, also Salon and other news organizations. He uh, has uh, done shows on public radio and uh, recently uh, began hosting a new morning show here on WBAI called What's Going On. Um, and uh, I like that song as well. Uh, <laughs> meanwhile, uh, I, I want to talk about a, a really weird and interesting story that I have not heard from anywhere else other than you. Uh, you've written uh -oh. about Supreme Court Justice Sylvia Ash, a veteran judge who was a former <laughs> chair of the Municipal Credit Union, who was convicted last week of obstructing justice and lying to an FBI agent. Hmm. Yes, you didn't see it on page one of the New York Times. Whoa, what was that? This uh, is a Supreme Court justice. Yes, sitting yes, Brooklyn commercial part. So just to unpack this a little bit, uh, and because it is it is uh, apocryphal, right? It, it's one of those things we look for as journalists who tells a bigger story. So I would say um, uh, a while back, I was alerted by a uh, uh, former colleague from the Village Voice that something odd was going on uh, at, um, it was Bob North, I'm trying to remember, I think, yeah, something odd was going on with the Municipal Credit Union. And just to give people background, Municipal Credit Union was started like, I think back in uh, 1916 in the early part of the 20th century. It was started by civil servants uh, who were worried that, you know, their colleagues would become victims to payday lenders because they were working class folks who didn't have access to capital and to, to banks as such. So they created a credit union. Credit union is a nonprofit uh, owned by the people that make the deposits. Uh, and so it's the kind of place if you're a young uh, rookie police officer, 
um, and all you've got going for you is that you got through the academy, uh, you can get a loan uh, based on the, and similarly for any other city occupation, if you've got yourself your civil service position uh, and you got a family to feed, you can go there and get the basic money to buy the tools and the uniform you need to do that job. The only place that does that that I know. Over the years, um, it's managed by volunteers who come from various unions, retirees. Uh, what ended up happening was the, uh, and we tracked how the pay for the top executives just was exponential. General counsel getting 600,000 when credit unions that are even larger were getting a fraction of that. And then we noticed that on the tax forms that uh, Cam Wong, who was the CEO of the credit union and kind of a career employee there, was getting like $5 million. Really? For Ooh. one year? Really? I mean, and as it turned out, he was uh, spending some $10 million on lottery tickets. There was a, a, a retired policeman uh, who was in the supervisory committee and then, of course, the judge. And these folks were basically involved with self-dealing. So there's been three convictions there. Sadly, um, the uh, the the unions and the working class people lost control of the credit union. The National Credit Union Administration has taken it over. Um, they've hired this horrendous anti-union uh, uh, law firm to make life miserable for the union employees who work in the credit union. We're going to be writing about that, but it's a sad story. It's a, a story about how a working class institution that has some $4 billion in capital, some 500,000 depositors, was rotted out from inside by corrupt individuals. And she faces uh, a maximum of 20 years in prison on uh, conspiracy to obstruct justice conviction charge. But um, hasn't she been serving a paid suspension from her job? <laughs> nice work if you can get it. Yeah, I have to thank Richie Steyer for going back, making me go back and get that detail because that was a good observation. Uh, we had reported when the arrest first happened, right? And yes, the judge, because she's an elected official, continues to draw that salary until there's a, a panel of judicial conduct review and the appellate courts make, you know, that's where the argument's held about this. No, that's the story. Yes, indeed. It's it's one of those things. And, and also, so, quite wait, frankly, wait, so she's suspended right. from her job as a president. That's right. Judge she's not doing the job and she's division. getting paid. But she's still you getting see? paid. Yes, absolutely. Why not? Mm. Uh, and the the uh, although the conviction resulted in her remaining suspended from her judicial responsibilities pending a review by the state commission on judicial conduct and the court of appeals, uh, the uh, the her, her fate as a judge has still not been determined. I don't think it'll be a long process, but I mean, what it gets to is why people are so cynical, right? And so. Uh, one of the things that has been uh, the corrosion of these institutions, um, and this happened, the Melrose Credit Union, there's been, we, we did cover with, with some depth the tax and medallion scandal. Um, this is one of the reasons why uh, you really have to have uh, a robust media. Because, I mean, think about it, $4 billion, that's something that, you know, that was a, a, a resource that was was built by generations of civil servants, working class people. And so my hope is that we can uh, um, support the, the, the growing movement within the union movement here in New York to have the control of that return to um, the, the nonprofits uh, board uh, and reconstitute it. I mean, the problem here is that from what I from my reporting, what happened was the volunteers who were involved in monitoring it just um, uh, were not up to catching on to these folks on the inside. And so I don't think because of that, that forever um, New York City should, uh, New York, the unions that built this should lose access to the ability to uh, control and determine the agenda for this very important financial institution that they built. Well, the unions continue to be under attack. Uh, do we understand why it, at this point uh, in our history, uh, the, the uh, we we still have people in uh, government going after unions. Is it simply because uh, unions? There are also unions that run the the country for um, for, for political entities. Well, I, I mean, I think it's it's important to understand that the union footprint 
is relatively small. And, you know, you're talking about 10% in the private sector. It's, uh, it's still in a historic low. And it's shrinking, 30, right? It, it, and, and actually, last year it went up like an infinitesimal amount. Um, it's up. It's like 35% in the public sector. Uh, there are rays of hope. Uh, what we saw happening up in Buffalo, where uh, young people um, organized the first uh, uh, Starbucks uh, union shop, mm-hmm. um, we are seeing uh, did a, this. Chris Smalls doing a very dynamic job out in Staten Island, Amazon, um, and then of course we have the great news that the that a, uh, Amazon apparently overplayed their hand down in uh, Bessemer, Alabama, and uh, got they got caught you know, basically violating labor law and a new election's been ordered for, and so the, uh, Stuart Applebaum and the, and the, and the good folks at our WDSU are going to chance to do that election again. But you're right. We see right now the Kellogg strike. It looks like there's going to be another uh, potential settlement there, but you have that case where Kellogg workers uh, just, you know, all through the pandemic work these incredibly long hours and the reward for that was uh, management trying to outsource their jobs, so they paid five million, fifty million dollars to the CEO. Now, the 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 arrogance and the greed uh, that we see in the current economy is not letting up. I mean, if you look at the concentration of wealth that has happened, it's only accelerated during the pandemic. And it's important to know that the Build Back Better that had been you know started in the several trillions and that got downsized to the seven some odd trillion and then further diminished down to what 1.7 trillion. The reason why that shrunk, and this is just not widely reported, but it needs to be widely understood, was that progressive people within the Biden White House wanted to have what they call a step up tax provision so that dynastic wealth and folks like Jeff Bezos, when they go to leave this earthly plane, that they get taxed at the point of transferring this vast amounts of wealth rather than have it wait until the stocks are sold by their heir. And that alone, getting rid of that provision, took $300 billion out of this once-in-a-generation chance to uplift working people. Even right now, we're getting this false uh, choice where, well, let's see, can we do voting rights before the end of the year or try to make sure that we keep up the earned income tax credit so we keep 40% of American children out of poverty. I don't know. Let's talk to Joe Manchin. What does he think? I mean, it's incredible that in the middle of this mass death event, where we're still in a public health crisis, where they're saying the biggest problem is getting people to get back to work, that we're not going to be able to move to provide health care and universal pre-K and child care to the country. I mean, this is this is why we're in the position we're in, because we constantly get squeezed out when it comes to the end of the year. Well, Bezos and uh, uh, a number of other billionaires, uh, their uh, the amount of money that they had uh, that they have has increased incredibly over the last 20 years. Right. But the minimum wage has remained the same. Well, and, and that and so what's actually happened and this is, you know, as I said, in my daughters, my grown daughters. Sorry about the planet, but the labor market's looking up because they what's happened is and this has got Wall Street into tither. They don't know what to do about this. Uh, you have millions of people, unprecedented numbers of people leaving their jobs. And this has got uh, and it's funny when you listen to the corporate media, particularly like Morning Joe, I've noticed that the, the service at the restaurant isn't what it was. Oh, is that so, Joe? Yes, it does seem to be very sluggish. They're not coming to work. Like the entire conversation that's on corporate media about this is from the, uh, the standpoint of those that are served, not the people serving. I mean, if you ask me not to tie back into the fundraising, what's the definitive difference between BAI and everybody else is this is the conversation about the servers, about the essential workers, the 99% who have no choice but to go to work every day. Yeah. Well, uh, I've uh, asked you about some of the stories that I've read uh, that you've published recently. Is there something else you want to bring up before we end this conversation? Uh, Well, I guess I I do think that we are going to have to take a very close look at the TikTok of how we got to this place where we're coming to the end of the year. We did this major breakthrough, uh, thanks to uh, Connecticut Congresswoman Delorio, who came up with this idea of increasing 
the payments that are made to families with dependent children. Truly, the most maybe one of the most important thing that was accomplished in the beginning of the Biden administration. We just cannot let that lapse. We just have to really um, lock arms with what Reverend Barber is trying to do, which is to make it all about uplifting the tens of millions of Americans that have been working, but have been finding that the world is not working for them because America is not going to work for the world until it works for them. Okay. Well, <laughs> hey, listen. I was just wondering. Uh, do you do you ever uh, get up early in the morning? Or are you? I mean, I, I imagine you are you a night owl person, or? Well, I go to sleep late and I wake up early. <laughs> okay, Wait, I was hoping maybe you would come on my. I guess I'm going to be on on the Friday of uh, of uh, New Year's Eve, December 31st. It would be great to have you. Would you mind? Well, Is that too early? No. Of course. What time are you on? Again, uh, it's like the it's like the seven a.m. to eight a.m. Would just be it would be, be happy to, be happy yeah. to join you. No, uh, thanks, thanks. And we could even do it on Lucy Light if you don't want to do it on a regular phone call. Always <laughs> with the latest technology. Uh, thanks, Leonard. That's radio. Uh, it does. We have come to the end of today's show. <laughs> and, and my great, thanks, I have a guest. I have a guest. <laughs> uh, uh, my great thanks to Bob Henley for being on our show today. And you should really check out his, not only his radio show, which is going to feature me on, uh, what is it, New Year's Eve? That's white guys are terrible, right? Self-promoting, cross-promoting, so. The show is called What's Going On. What's but, Going On, yeah. But he also is the author of a new book called Stuck Nation, Can the United States Change Course on Our History of Choosing Profits Over People? It's published by Democracy at Work. You can Check him out at StuckNation.com, at MuckRack.com, slash Bob Henley, at The Chief Leader, uh, all over the place. And um, I'm looking forward to his next visit to this show. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Talk to you soon. And that brings us to the end of today's show. My special thanks to our live engineer, Richie Johnson, and to our executive producer here at Leonard Lopate at Large, Jesse Lent, for all of the important work that they do throughout the week. If you're new to this program and you like what you've been hearing, you can access our over 500 past shows streaming on demand at WBAI.org. We're also on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever else that podcasts are available. And if you'd like to write to me about something you've heard on the show or simply to say hello, my email address is leonardlopate at wbai.org. And as Bob and I were discussing before, WBAI is currently experiencing major financial difficulties due to the pandemic. So we're asking anyone who isn't already supporting the station to go online right now to give to WBAI.org or to call 212-209-2950 to make a tax-deductible contribution. People are thinking in terms of tax-deductible contributions at this time of year, obviously. Uh, and also some people um, who work for companies that will match anything, any donations that they make. Um, we have um, I mentioned with Bob earlier that we have an added consideration, which is that we our uh, tower rent uh, here is $17,000 a month. And uh, although uh, we are struggling through normally, that has really been a serious problem. So please consider becoming a member and also calling to help us on the Tower Fund. Um, go online right now to give to WBAI.org or call 212-209-2950 to make a tax-deductible contribution. We hope you'll do it in the name of Leonard Lopate at large. And we hope you'll join us again on Monday when privacy law expert Neil Richards will discuss his book, Why Privacy Matters. Have a great weekend.